Hour two underway. Chad Adams, your guest host. Yes, the ever affable, friendly, and energetic Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender. A pleasure, absolute pleasure here at WBT. Hope Pete's have, enjoying his time off. Works very hard. Very astute fellow. Known him for many years. And a pleasure to be here in his stead. Now, and also appreciate you know Chris and everybody else making it sound good. So the WBT staff, excellent as always. You want to get in on this conversation? You've got something to share? you got something you want to get off your chest? Male or female, you're welcome to call in. Of course, if you're Don Lemon, any female over 50 is too old, so they can't run for president. It's just unbelievable the kind of stuff these CNN hosts say. 704-570-1110, 570-1110. Now, I promise I'll get into this, this detail that I've been promising for some time, and I had written it. About uh, what? When did I write this? Back on the eighth. It was really, it was really on my mind. So I had written all of this, this kind of longer way of looking at, at the nation down. It documented my thoughts at the time, and, and thinking about how much things, how many things have happened, but how little has changed. How we continue going. You would think after about 50, 60 years of reflection, just in the modern era, just in the since we put a man on the moon era, you would think. We would look at what's happened and realize none of those promises worked. That the promise of welfare didn't work. The promise of Social Security it largely didn't work. The promises that the, these things were made, the systems are are broken. The entitlement system is broken. It hasn't it hasn't provided the way it was. In fact, it's I would say it's been largely detrimental to those that it's meant to serve. We've we've given much. But we haven't improved their lot. In fact, as a percentage of the budget, it continues to be become. So, if you're looking at it in perspective, if it's a little tiny piece of your budget and now it's grown to sixty four percent, you have to at some point stop the insanity and say, "Hey, maybe, maybe doing things like this is just kicking the can down." I mean, at what point do we stop the insanity? Do Democrats say, "Whoa, was it ninety when it becomes ninety percent of the federal budget?" Do they care? Progressives want to scream about Republicans, but do Democrats care? Ask them, do you care? Does it bother you that it's this much of the federal budget? We're, I mean, 7% of the entire budget is just to deal with interest. We're spending like insane maniacs. We're absolutely spending ourselves into oblivion. And we can't, we can't keep doing that. So, you know, I don't know. Trying to figure it all out in real time. So. Uh, having said that, do want to mention, you know, Biden bragged about inflation. It was coming down. It's still too high, but it's come down. Look at the past six months. It's been great. So then you look at today's news. Today's inflation at the wholesale level rose more than expected in January. So even as the president was talking, what he was saying wasn't true. Now, that doesn't mean he knew it, but making these giant sweeping assumptions that he's doing such a great job. It's not the Inflation Reduction Act. Democrats named it, they voted for it, they supported it, it ain't working. But if you're a climate change freak, hey, if you think the end of the world is near, by the way, those predictions have also not come true, have they? Since we put a man on the moon, have the climate change crowd's predictions come true? No, they haven't. It's a cult. If you want to talk about things, that's great. In the ever-changing environment of the planet, for the history of the planet, it's never been stable. There is no global thermostat. You can't set it and forget it. It's not like having a train. You don't just go, ah, what's the thermostat in Orlando? Let's set it. Pass an ordinance. We charlatans, we're going to pass an ordinance. The city temperature will be, and we set it. 
Is that we, we can't. It doesn't work that way. Inflation at the wholesale level rose more than expected in January. The latest sign that painfully high consumer prices could take some time to dissipate. You know, it's funny. I'm reading this is from Fox Business. So a lot of people go, oh, it's Fox. See, there's Chad Adams is quoting from Fox. But seriously, the latest sign that painfully high consumer prices could take some time to dissipate. The Labor Department said Thursday that its producer price index, which measures inflation at the wholesale level before it reaches consumers, rose 0.7% in January up from the previous month. It marked the steepest monthly increase since last summer. On an annual basis, prices are up 6%. So everything that Biden and the Democrats have told you, not true. Inflation's still a pain in the you-know-what. It's not working. It's not working. And, and you know, and as the Biden administration, more jobs created historically, they, they, it, it's, this, it's this funny amnesia that the pandemic didn't exist. There was no pandemic. What are you smoking crack? There was no pandemic. What are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? There was no pandemic. I created more jobs than any president in history. Pandemic, shmandemic, there was nothing. It was Trump. It was terrible. The economy was horrible. I created millions of jobs. You know you're happy about it. You love me. You love me. What did I say? I don't know. I said something about you love me. I think you love me. What was I talking about? My wife, Jill, Dr. Jill. Yeah. It's, your t- it's just crazy. So when you add to that, so then what would you think the next part of that inflation story would be? The next part of that inflation story is it's tough on folks out there. The reality, not the not the crazy stuff that politicians tell you, but the reality is that everyday America, this is from CNBC, the one of the most Biden-friendly places on the planet. Amid persistent inflation, 54% of Americans are using savings to pay for everyday expenses. Inflation still taking a hefty toll on households, recent reports show. Price, prices continued their upward momentum in January, 6.4% up over the past 12 months. To, to make ends meet, 27% of Americans said they've had to take money out of savings, and more than half, 54%, said they used that money to pay for everyday expenses, such as groceries and rent. Now, not living within their means in a heavily consumer-based economy where people can order everything and have it at their house within 24 hours, inflationary concerns, it's not working. And you have to wonder, what is it? The, I mean, to try to figure out what the American public wants, you know, I, it's what, I think it's what everybody wants. They, want, they want everything, but they don't want to have to pay for it. They want politicians to promise them things. They want them to deliver, but they never they never connect. The, they, they, I wouldn't say never. But by and large, they don't seem to connect the dots. That the people that are in charge are helping to create policies that aren't, that, that aren't contributing to the betterment of society. That they're passing policy. Even the state. I mean, I, we go, we'll go into that. Let's, well, I tell you, what, we're going to take a break here in a second. But I want to go there because the Republican Party in general, it's supposed to be the more conservative of the two parties. And it is, but, I mean, think about that perspective. I mean, if the if the political left, if the Democrats have gone, you know, off the reservation, so to speak, and, and gone into deep, deep left territory and taken a hard left turn, and then the Republicans in North Carolina just want to be, you know, by, by virtue of perspective, are moderate, it's not good for any of us. That means every discussion is just about how far left everything will go. If you think about that, so it, it, it is, they're screaming that the Republicans are these far right, ultra mega Republicans. Oh my God, they're really not. If they were, they'd be cutting and gutting the federal government on a regular basis. 
They would be getting rid of things the government shouldn't be into. They'd get rid of the Federal Department of Education. They would get rid of the, the Environmental Protection Agency and let the states deal with it. The states can deal with this and work collectively in the best interest of the citizens. You can get rid of a lot of things. But that's what an ultra, an ultra, and think about what they're saying. A make America great again group of people is somehow an extremist group. What do they want to do? Not make it great? You would think they would. But the, the political left has gone so far left that now the right, the political right, is not really that far right. How can I prove this? Because when it comes to something like Medicaid expansion, which is a, which is a federal program that hasn't lived up to its promise, it hasn't worked, it, it distributes a lot of money, but it's a broken system. We've done nothing to really reform it. Makes up 25% of the federal budget. The single largest aspect of the federal budget. So what do Republicans do? You would think, hey, we've got to be really concerned about this. Are the Republicans concerned about it? They're really not. Because if they were, they wouldn't want to expand Medicaid, would they? They wouldn't be looking to expand Medicaid in North Carolina, a federal program that isn't fixed, that's out of control in spending, but it's a desperation. 704-570-1110-570-1110 here on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. And when we went to the break, it's see what what's ironic. Here's the thing that you're 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 trying to put together in your head. You're like, "Wait a minute. Chad's talking about all these these wackadoo things in government, but he's in such a good mood while he's doing it." Never makes sense, but it's the truth. I'm an optimistic individual. I love life. I love, you know, I I I I Part of me doesn't like the earth is so phenomenal. I just won't have time to visit it all. You know, it's got this one lifetime. I'm not going to be able to get to everything. But yes, optimistic guy, because there are people that are fighting back. There are people like you that are going about your day-to-day stuff that scratch your head and go, what the hell are these people actually doing? They're not representing my family. They're not representing my kids. They're not helping. They're taking stuff from me. And when enough people feel like that, guess what? Folks get thrown out of office. You make demands of them. So North Carolina has been in a particular state of flux. The governor of our state, Governor Ray Roy Cooper, who's been in public office since the 90s, he's been in office most of his adult life, you know, kind of waiting for his time to be at the next stage and and finding the right time to run. Hey, I'll give him credit. He's good at running for office. You cannot, if I were to interview you, you cannot name anything that he's accomplished other than winning elections. And I don't mean that to be mean. It's just there's not a signature political accomplishment other than being elected that you can ascribe to the current inhabitant of the governor's mansion. The next one in line is Josh Stein. Now, he's the Democrat that that wants to use kind of the same path. Hey, I can be attorney general. That stands for aspiring governor. Cooper's, you know, limited on time. He's out in two years. I can can just fill his boots and go right in. I'm Josh Stein. I've got a huge progressive base. I'm a lefty. North Carolina's a purple state. I got a good shot at it. And we'll talk about on the Republican side, you, you're looking at, I mean, there's there's two that are definitely, I believe, in. And there's a third that I think wants to get. I think Mark Walker's the one that wants to get in. We know Mark Robinson, lieutenant governor, is running all over the state trying to get money. And, and, and somewhat the darling of the conservative base. And then you've got, you know, Dale Treasurer, probably one of the worst kept secrets, is it Treasurer of the state of North Carolina, one of the most accomplished public figures in state history, is running for governor. He won't get the kind of limelight and I'll guarantee you that Josh Stein, you can look at his his opening salvo, so to speak, his opening announcement, and you clearly see he wants to run against, and the Democrats want to run against Mark Robinson. I know this is going to, some Republicans listening, some conservatives are going to scream and yell, but 
they want to run against Mark Robinson. They know that the problem with Mark Robinson's base is it's not wide. It's not deep. It's one group. And that's not that's not putting down anybody who supports Mark. That's not that's not a it's not even a derogatory comment toward Mark. It's the nature of he he hasn't the accomplishments. He hasn't supervised personnel. He hasn't, you know, he barely goes to the state board of education meetings. He's he is a lieutenant governor who's been given the opportunity to go about making incendiary comments. The red meat. He is a red meat candidate. He's throwing it out there. He's getting a lot of attention, but it's also a fuse. It's not, it's not like he had the depth of accomplishments of a Donald Trump. And he's saying the kind of things that Trump would say. It's very Trumpian in his approach, but he doesn't have the, the background of accomplishments to back it up. And that's not, again, it's not derogatory. And then you look at someone like Dale Falwell, not as incendiary, very calm, cool, and collective, going about taking on the hospitals that are ripping us off, taking on the hospitals that are that are billing us to death. We've got great hospitals. We've got great doctors and nurses, but we have administrative groups that are more entwined with the legislature than they are in the, in the treatment of patients. We have a legislature that is very reticent to even challenge the governor. We have a, a veto-proof majority in the Senate, but under Tim Moore's leadership, the House doesn't have a veto-proof majority. It's the nature of how weak the House is from a conservative standpoint. It doesn't have the wherewithal to really delineate itself and define itself as a conservative organization. So the House kind of limps along. Now, what's making it worse for Republicans heading into next year's election is that they're starting to cave on things that they used to care about. Medicaid, and we've just talked, Medicaid, um, I'm sorry, Medicare, Medicaid, all of that. I mean, with the welfare part of our, our economy is 25% of the federal budget. The Republicans want to expand Medicaid. Now, can you believe that? Something that conservatives should be very concerned about. You know, they should say, hey, let's let's fix Medicaid. Let's fix it before we expand it. GOP lawmakers have blocked expansion for years, but came around as rural hospitals struggled to stay open without the extra funding and the program survived legal challenges at the national level, signaling it's here to stay. House rules require another vote, stated for tomorrow, but the measure moves to the Senate. Senate leadership also backs expansion, but has a much different plan, setting up a conflict similar to the one that derailed expansion last year. But the House voted on House Bill 76, 96 to 23, meaning a lot of Republicans voted for it, a lopsided vote emblematic of the dramatic change that Republicans have now bought into the expansion of a federal program. A federal program that has billions of waste, fraud, and abuse in it. A federal program that has never met up to its promises. A federal program that's in dire need of reform. A federal program that Republicans haven't held the feet to the fire to get those reforms. Republicans should stand up and say, we care about people. In fact, we care so much about the citizens that we want to reform this program so that we're maximizing what we do to help people. But instead of doing that, they're just going to expand a broken program. Imagine you've got three flat, you got three tires on a car, and one of them's flat. And instead of fixing the flat tire, the people driving the car just decide to put air in the other three tires and keep on driving and acting like everything's fine. Worse, they put three new tires on the car, expensive new tires on the car, and keep the flat tire. I'm not being facetious here. It's the reality of where we are. These programs are broken. They're a mess. And for Republicans to embrace them and hug them, 
They're not hugging a friendly program. They're hugging a broken program. They're embracing broken government and acting like they're selling you Girl Scout cookies. No offense to Girl Scouts. Your cookies are fantastic. Having some fun here. Second hour underway. Actually, we're just past the midpoint on a beautiful excursion into broadcast excellence here at WBT. The state's premier talk station. It's always a pleasure to be here. My honor. Always. Chad Adams, your guest host. You can follow me on Twitter. It's not hard to find me. Chad underscore Adams. Got in early enough. I still got the cool name. So, uh, having said all these things, I was I was kind of, it was a bit of a truncated discussion about the Republicans and where they are, where they find themselves in this Medicaid debacle as they've, you know, they've, they've been, I, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know, it's fear, uh, it's, it's embarrassment, it's I want to get along, I want people to like me. I don't know why they're going down the path of Medicaid expansion. You would think there would be some demand for accountability first, but that doesn't seem to be the case. You would think they would want to fix the program. That doesn't seem to be the case. It's all that rural hospitals are struggling. Now, one of the best things you can do to any any problem th- that's in society is, one, you can get government out of the way. To that end, North Carolina is one of a, a few states that has what's called a certificate of need law. It's a silly, archaic law. It's a, it's a ridiculous law. It basically says if any of us want to go create kind of medical opportunities for patients, if we want to go out there and start a dialysis center or we want to do something in the medical world, we have to put together a very expensive proposition. And then we have to get permission to get a certificate. We have to prove there's a need to the government. And the government, meaning the governor, gets to sign it and say, I hear ye, hear ye. By decree of the state of North Carolina, I, the governor, decree there is a need in your community for, insert whatever it is. Now, the net result of having a silly certificate of need law is it's preventing competition. If you and I want to go to compete against these giant monolithic hospitals in the state, these cartels, and they are cartels, and they they certainly, Charlotte-Mecklenburg area is infiltrated between Atrium and and Novant and these others, they're, they're cartels. They're absolute cartels. They're not interested in the bottom line of citizens' health. They're interested in the bottom line profits. And, and I'm saying that as a, I'm an unabashedly pro-capitalist guy. Have several companies, love them, love to invest in new opportunities, love to be a part of the, the system. But when, when, you, when you get away, when you're using government to protect your kingdom, you are now just a corrupt cartel. You are not in the interest of competing. In fact, what you're saying is, I'm afraid of competition, and if competition were to come about, my prices would come down, and I don't want that. So certificate of need laws, Republicans, if they're actually any, if they have a conservative bone in their body, they should put forth the immediate abolition, the immediate abolishment of certificate of need laws. They need to go away. It's a horrible thing. It's preventing. When you want to help rural hospitals, introduce competition, allow competition, allow more things to come into the market. Notice there's no shortage of like dentists out there competing every day. Notice there's no shortage of people that can do eye uh, surgeries and eye work. Competition, prices. Think about plastic surgery. The number of places that are dealing with elective plastic surgery that are around the state. You have to prove there's a need. You have competition. What happens with competition? Prices come down, opportunities increase, and the procedures get better. I mean, laser eye surgery has... If anything government was involved in would have leapt forward like eye surgeries, we'd be colonizing Mars by now. Anything government gets involved with slows it down. Solar panels, we'd probably all have chairs with solar panels on them. We would have 
everything we own would have solar panels, or they, you would be able to print them out on your printer. I mean, it would be ridiculous. I don't know what it would be. But government subsidizing solar panels slowed it down by 50 years. All these green tree, green piece, anti-tree-cutting environmentalist wackos out there, they run to the wrong source. They run to government to do this. Government just slows down innovation. It doesn't speed it up, ever. It doesn't speed it up. You can think it doesn't make it true. The advances in technology come in the private sector at lightning speed. Not It's in spite of government, not because of it. So if you want to fix some of these problems, get the, get the government out of the way. Get government out of a lot of this healthcare stuff. Do you think that adding Medicaid is going to save rural hospitals? It's just buying them a stay of execution. These rural hospitals, a lot of it has to do with TPAs that, that, that don't want to include rural hospitals in, in care opportunities. They're that are insurance companies that don't want to include them in it. There's, you know, people are traveling, they're going to other places for treatment. Why not allow the great, you know, let's resuscitate North Carolina's medical system? It's not that good at care. I mean, it's good at it some places. I mean, if you go to Chapel Hill or Duke or you go to, you know, some centers of excellence, you can get there if you can get in. We want to really help healthcare. You don't have to be a healthcare professional to realize what's going on. But for Republicans to think that they're going to save these rural hospitals, it, I mean, think about think about the position you're in. If Medicaid expansion is the difference between your hospital staying in business or not, do you really think that's going to keep it for the long haul? It's not. It's not. Be a better hospital. Also, do you think that propping up Medicaid and, and, and putting those dollars, is that going to make that hospital more innovative? Is it going to make it better at dealing with patient care? Is it going to make it more novel in the way it approaches things? You're going to have less waiting rooms? Are you going to have quicker patient care, better patient care, a higher level of service? Do you think any of those things enter into the equation when you're talking about Medicaid expansion? Of course not. It's just flowing federal dollars in, shoving more people in, and just you know letting it limp along. It's not going to save those rural hospitals. You need to really foster a medical community based on competition. If you do that, you can achieve a great deal. And I didn't mean to belabor that point because I really want to talk. The Republicans giving up ground on this is indicative of why there's not a great enthusiasm for Republicans in general. Because if the Republicans were actually doing what they said that we, we are, we're actually a center-right state. The more if you were, if, if Roy Cooper were to be seen as the progressive he is, he would never have won the race. He would never be governor. If Josh Stein was seen as the progressive he is, he can He will not be able to win. But right now, he's seen as very much a moderate. He's very much, I think, an odds-on favorite. If, if, if it is a Mark Robinson-Josh Stein race, I don't see how Josh doesn't win and become the next governor. Now, the one person that Josh Stein does not want to run against is Dale Falwell, because then Josh Stein would have to run against the accomplishments of someone like Dale Falwell. Mark Walker wants to get in the race. I know there's a lot of phone calls going on. Mark wants to try to clear the field and running it, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think he may run, but he'll just they'll just divide the vote up. But uh, and Mark doesn't have the accomplishments. He just doesn't. He's he's a regionally known guy, nice guy. I've met him several times. A good congressman was. So he is. But uh, Dale Falwell, if you look, if you if you if Dale Falwell were to survive the primary, and he's a quirky, different individual, love him, dear friend, would do anything for Dale. But if Dale were to survive the primary, that would be Josh Stein's worst-case scenario. Because at that point, you really have a choice between a pro-market, uh, accomplished individual 
who has decades of accomplishment, who has actually led an entire state agency, who has trimmed it, who ran it through COVID, who has made it more efficient versus someone who has been very, very political his entire life, who has run the attorney general's office as a political endeavor, not as an attorney general interested in, in being blind to partisanship, but someone who's made it that way. Then the race becomes about who's accomplished more and who's been less political and who has a vision for the state. And when you put Josh Stein against Dale Falwell, that's entirely that that's just not even going to be a close race. It's going to be a very different race. And I know it sounds like because Dale's a different kind of guy. He finds a way, he finds a way to win. But if it were Mark Robinson, all they're going to do is wait for that. It's, it's, it's waiting for sound bites. It's going to be very difficult for Mark to have the confidence of the business community. It's going to be very difficult for Mark to have the confidence of the electorate beyond core grassroots constituencies. Because some of the stuff he said is very incendiary and it just doesn't translate well. But again, that's none of that's personal. That's just documentation. And how do I know this? You know this because you see the commercials. You see the mentality. You see what Josh Stein is doing. You see where he's trying to go with that. So, but again, I've been saving some of the good stuff for the end. And I, by the way, I, I the story I will get to, uh, you know, we're trying. There, there are groups out there that are at quote unquote experts that want to stop saying female. It's, it's how silly we are. We'll talk about how silly we've become. But you've, you, they want you to produce egg producing instead of female to define female because female can be egg producing or not producing. It's silly. It's ridiculous. We'll talk a little bit about that. I have resisted the discussion. I mean, I mentioned it maybe for less than five seconds in, in going with the politically correct use of unidentified aerial phenomenon. I guess that, you know, if you had a sky dog, that could be that. But it, instead of looking at what's going on, the, the, the Biden situation on that front is rather bizarre. Excuse <laughs> Because there's no answer with respect to what's happening in the skies that, that's good. There's there's no there's not a single good answer to that. Because think about it. let's let's walk through this. So I was I was at the coast when I was watching the balloon go out across the ocean in front of it. The beach I live at faces south. It's one of the few places in North Carolina that you can watch the sunset on the ocean. So I had seen, I'd been uh, traveling around, and I'd seen it was over Conway, South Carolina. And I knew that at 60,000 feet, you could probably see it. So when I got home, I looked out across the ocean, and sure enough, the balloon was there. And, and I'm watching it, and, and, you're, and you can, it was easy to spot because there were a number of contrails around it. There were uh, sets of two jets at a time that would come out and kind of fly around and then go back. You know, they don't stay in the air forever, and they would fly around and go back. And then another set of two jets would come out. And then we saw, as we stood on the front deck of the house here, we saw... The, the the missile being fired and, and and saw it get hit and go down. It was rather remarkable because you almost didn't believe what was happening. But it was clearly what had transpired. Now, that was pretty easy. It was a balloon. You could see with a good pair of binoculars that it had stuff hanging underneath it, you know, some kind of equipment that they're pulling out of the ocean. And there was a warning issue to everyone. If you're walking on the beach and you find something, you know, you need to turn over the FBI, you're breaking the law kind of stuff. There's this omnipresent government that's in our lives that tells us we're all bad all the time. So then it turns out there's three other objects that are, that are shot down or, or invading, you know, one up in uh, Alaska, one over here on one that was spotted in Montana and they lost it and, and one in Canada that shot down. So the odd thing is you listen to the pilots, some of the conversations, it's odd. I mean, these octagon shaped things, you don't know what they are, but there's no answer that makes the Biden administration look good. 
So you allowed this thing to float across the country for five days. You shot it down. There are people, hey, see, he waited. He got it down. But by then, any damage it could have done was probably done. We don't, we don't know. We just don't know. But if they were commercial enterprise, imagine this, if they were commercial enterprises and they just shot them down, that it was Google's aircraft or something like that. We don't know. And that would look bad because that would mean it shot down things with, with private, you know, using U.S. military and it's being invaded by private enterprise and it shoots those down. If they're Chinese and they shot them down, you're using, you know, it, you have to wonder why do the Chinese feel so comfortable challenging the Biden administration? They feel, I mean, we had two, uh, two Russian aircraft or four Russian aircraft in the past two days that have encroached upon Alaska airspace. It is not as if the international community feels that America's projection of strength is intact right now. They, they don't. If they are the Chinese, if all of these are Chinese objects that are that are flying willy-nilly over us, and the Biden administration said it picked up the one from the, the time it was launched on the ground that floated across the U.S., why did you wait so long to do something about it? It doesn't look like... And then the fact that we missed... I mean, if you think about the world, you've got a stationary object that's moving very, very slowly. And they fire a 400 plus thousand dollar missile and miss at a stationary object. And the excuse is, well, our aircraft move very quickly and that moves very slow. We had trouble hitting the target. That doesn't inspire confidence in what we're capable of. And we're capable of a lot. But this administration doesn't make, there's really no option. And then in the meantime, because the president has refused to discuss stuff, you've got senators from both parties coming forth, even Blumenthal, not the biggest fan, but on this, I agree. He says, look, you know, we received these briefings. There, there's no information that we were given that really feels like it shouldn't be given to the American public. The president's job in many in many aspects, whether Democrat or Republican, is to make the American public feel safer. That's the one thing government should do. The U.S. government should be making Americans feel like, hey, we've got this. We can protect you. Your taxpayer money is being used for the national defense. It's here to protect you. It's here to take care of you. It can. It, it's going to make sure your kids... And your kids' kids are protected. Now, when you look at that on, on a pie chart, if you were to look at that and you think, you know, wait, health insurance, Medicaid, Medicare, all that's 25% of the federal budget. How much is how much is defense? That's pretty big. That's about half of that, 13%. As much, and that's a lot of money. It's a billion plus dollars. I mean, it's a lot of money that goes into defense. And a lot of that, you know, imagine if we had defended our borders. To the extent that we're trying to defend Ukrainian borders, how much better we'd probably be. Just unbelievable. So it's kind of astounding that that's what's taking place. So we don't know. The president hasn't answered. The White House continues to kind of stonewall. No one gives us straightforward answers, which has allowed a proliferation of UFO stories out there, the flying saucer, the Roswell, New Mexico kind of stories to proliferate, that somehow this is extraterrestrial or subterrestrial, whatever, you, whatever you're, you're inclined to believe on that front, it's allowed a lot of proliferation of crazy stuff because the Biden administration just hasn't come forward and answered any questions. Now, started the show out discussing the situation with respect to government isn't there to solve problems. It's the theme. You want to get in on that conversation, you've got something to say about it, it's 5701110. You know your area code 704-570-1110. If you want to get in on the conversation, you're welcome to do so and be a part of the broadcast here today. But government isn't set up to solve problems. And, and when we look at these entitlements, and we will in the next one, 
we we've had 50 plus years. Social security has been around since the thirties, you know, a lot of the other entitlements since the sixties, 50 plus years, increasingly a part of the federal budget, increasingly a part of your state budget, some parts of it in your local budgets. It's not diminishing. If it were solving the problem, you would see that take a shrinking portion of the federal budget, wouldn't you? You would expect a success to result. It's like education. We're doing the same thing in education. We're throwing more dollars. I mean, th- those, those numbers in Baltimore were staggering, $21,000 per student, and you've got 8% literacy or 8% you know, at grade level in some subjects. 8%. Eight out of eight out of ninety-two kids out of a hundred are not proficient at grade level. In many schools, zero percent. Twenty-one thousand dollars per student. In North Carolina, it's a lot of money. Also, ten plus thousand dollars per students in many places like Mecklenburg and Wake. Is it resulting in the kind of grades and accomplishments for kids that we we intended? It's not. So educational spending is going up. Federal spending, everything. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Next hour, we're getting ready to bend away the final hour. Stay tuned. Here are the Pete Callender Show. I'm your guest host, Chad Adams. We'll be right back. 